It's the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 103. I believe it's 103. It's been a lot of episodes. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast. We take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of cops and concealed carriers. Today, I'm going to be joined by Wayne Dobbs. Welcome back, Wayne. We're going to talk about three shooting drills every cop should know. Every cop. So this one's devoted to the LE guys. And also, if you're a concealed carrier... These are uh, some handy shooting exercises. Today's episode is brought to you by handgundrills.com. Check them out. Links are in the show notes. Handgun Drills is a uh, place you can go and look up all your favorite handgun drills. You can buy notebooks. You can buy binders. You can get targets. It's, uh, It's like the whole package there. Also, as always, EDC Belt Company. Foundation Belt, edcbeltco.com. Probably tired of hearing me say that at this point, but that's okay uh, because uh, I'm not just a client. I'm also the president. <laughs> anyway, let's bring in our guest. Go. All right. Welcome back, Wayne. Again. Hey, man. It's good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's been a minute. Um, so we were pitching around three shooting drills that every cop needs to know and kind of our top three i figure the way we'll do this is i'll have you pitch one and ask you about the whys behind it and then uh, i'll pitch one and we can, we can just kind of go back and forth and i have Sounds a feeling like a good time yeah i have a feeling some of them will overlap oddly well enough. i was sitting here with a i had a list of several and i, I was and then you've already mentioned one or two of them and i'm like okay i really can't really talk about those now so but we'll, we'll. <laughs> no you you can i'll give you the go first so okay well i'll go with my first one and it's uh i i call it one two three and we've used it i've used it for a warm-up drill or for a an assessment or a fundamental skills development drill for years and years and years and it is exactly what it sounds like it's one shot then two shots, then three shots. And we start off uh, at three yards and we work back to five yards, seven yards, 10 yards, 15 yards. And if we've got a really nice group of shooters, we might push it past 15, but you do it in different modes. So it's one, two, three from low ready, one, two, three from the holster and one, two, three from the holster strong hand only. And and then what you can do with it, and normally what we would do is, is start off a group uh, or, you know, a basic group just on a B8 or on a six-inch circle. Or some people say an eight-inch circle. I don't like eight-inch circles. But we would start off on that on that tight target and go one, two, three. What you're looking for is for people to put the hits on inside that target zone. And so, therefore, uh, like a qualification silhouette or something is not suitable. You can put a B8 over it and use that, but but you want to work a tight target. Um, the other thing we'll do is to vary the mode is once we have somebody warmed up or we have a, a fairly skilled group of folks is we will, I'll call it 
uh, tactical one, two, three, where the first shot, the one shot is delivered to the head. Okay. So that's a, that's a fight stop in or hostage rescue shot. Uh, two shots are the pair to the body or to the center and three shots is a, a failure drill, two to the body, one to the head. So you can, you can work those variations. Uh, you may, you may stay at, at, three, five, and seven yard lines from low ready for a brand new shooter uh, so that you're not overloading them. But you're you're teaching them the building block of shooting. The fundamental building block of any defensive uh, pistol use is the single shot from either ready or the holster. So that's what we work on. So, and you said B8, what do you use for a head box? Uh, you can use uh, a three by five card. Uh, you can put it on on like uh, an IDPA or uh, a USPSA uh, silhouette and use their head box. Uh, the new IDPA has a four-inch circle head box. Uh, the the shoot, uh, shoot steel silhouette is really, really good. It has uh, a properly drawn inverted triangle head box uh, that's, that's pretty tough. It's about uh, three and a half inches wide and about two and a half inches tall. So any of those, uh, anything that requires even more discrimination as far as the delivery of the shot than, than the, the first large zone. Cool. I like it. I, I think I've shot that in a couple of your classes before you have, you have, and it, it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't one of those things where you sit down and say, Hey, I'm going to design a drill. It was, it was initially started as kind of a warm up to where, you know, the shooters, get used to uh, shooting again for however long it's been since they've done that. And the instructors get to watch student prefer or student practices in a fairly low stress, uh, safe environment. It, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a warm up for the instructors and the students. You're, you're looking for problems. You're looking for, for strengths, whatever. Yeah. I like it. And the, the, the ability to vary a lot of those is what, uh, one of the reasons I keep them pretty, pretty straightforward and on a pretty mm-hmm. straightforward target. So I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can, you can, you can work it a lot. Another aspect of it, uh, from the standpoint of teaching the police or private citizens is the most you're going to fire on this drill is three rounds. Uh, there's not a, a volume of fire being delivered. Uh, you should be seeing a different pace of shots at different yard lines. In other words, the three yard line and the 10 yard line should look markedly different in shot, different in shot pacing. Uh, you're still holding the same accuracy standard though, which, uh, if you're doing that does change the shot pace. Right. Well, cool. Anything else to add on that one? One, two, three. No. I like one, it. two, three or one, two, three walk back because you are moving back, uh, on it as you, as you progress through it. You can also, it's easy to structure round counts on there. So if you just do it one mode, it's always six rounds at each yard line. So you can figure out what a magazine loadout is or how much ammo is going to be needed. Yeah. And that one's pretty revolver neutral as well. It is. It is. If you run it with a five shot, uh, you know, if you want to drive yourself nuts, um, you can use a five shot and go one, two, two. And, and, or you can, another thing you can do with five shot is you can do it two, three, uh, center hit or a center pair and then a failure drill out of it. Ooh, I like that. 
yeah, yeah. I'm going to hit the range this afternoon, hopefully. So, uh, so okay. I, I wrote this one down while you were explaining it. <laughs> okay. okay. Good deal. Uh, oh, let's see for my first one. And I use this one all the time is our buddy, Justin dials five yard roundup. Cause it's 10 rounds and it's on a B eight at five yards. It's, it's, it's about as simple as you can get and have a good assessment in 10 rounds. Uh, and it's, everything on a two and a half second part-time one one from the holster four from low ready three strong hand only two two off gun hand only or or supporting Mm -hmm. only um and i like to run that one uh from a duty rig from concealment and then with an if i'm really feeling sporty with the addition of a flashlight so a handheld light and run it from a harry's position uh, on that first draw to first shot and then mm-hmm. go back and from the low ready, if you're on an in duty mode and you have a weapon mounted light, it's a real mm-hmm. good practice to manipulate the weapon mounted light for the four shots. Um, mm-hmm. and then three shots, um, with the support hand or the strong hand only I'll go back to a handheld light and, you know, either go to, uh, all the old FBI or temple or, or, the right. jawline index, uh, something uh, low light uh, applicable. So right, and that one, I mean, I can I can run that in so many different modes, um, and it really can expose where your marksmanship weaknesses are really quickly. It uh, does. It's, it's, it does it, indeed. I like it a lot because half of it's one handed. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I, I think, and I think you can play some games with it. I am not a huge fan of spending a lot of time. Uh, you've got a limited amount of time with students anyway. I'm not a huge fan of spending a lot of time with support hand shooting. Mm-hmm. It just does not represent uh, in in actual events to any great extent. I mean, now if it does, then then it's really a horrible day. But it it doesn't uh, it doesn't come up. But about roughly half of the encounters that we see that are that are well reported or videoed about half of them uh show uh strong hand only responses from the shooters mm-hmm. and and so that that starts telling you that uh that that's a skill that needs to be uh well in place in a shooter's skill set yeah i i found that pretty startling getting into law enforcement work was the bulk of the qualification were, or, you know, in marksmanship work, we did had two hands on the hand gun, uh, <laughs> to hearken a little Tom Givens there. It's not called a yeah. hands gun, hands but, gun like the toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, the amount of that, but having to actually deploy a firearm multiple times, while you've got a combative suspect or mm-hmm. you're trying to get somebody out of the way or you're, you know, you're stacked on an entry and you can't put two hands on the gun. And I go, God, we never practice that way. And yeah, I, one of the things I loved that Justin dial said in his course was, Hey, anything worth doing with two hands is worth learning with one strong hand only or something That's to that effect. Absolutely. The truth, you know, other things that came up about one handed, uh, firearms employment in, in, or on duty or, or for private citizens too. uh, having a flashlight in the other hand, mm-hmm. uh, having a radio in the other hand, uh, 
portable radio uh, for the police, uh, opening doors. Uh, you know, on a building clearance, you were always opening doors, um, moving people out of the way you've already mentioned. Uh, there's there's a variety of things that put you in the spot and of, of having a, a one-hand gun while you have a problem in the other. And that deal about having a suspect in the other hand, that's been there, done that, and that gets pretty sporty at times if you're not, because by definition, you are now in a weapons retention problem if you're if you're holding on to somebody and trying to manage a gun too. Right. And uh I've had multiple times where I have a suspect handcuff that's being mild what I used to call like mildly compliant. Just yes. enough that if they thought they could get away they would. So they're you know, they're moving, you're trying to stabilize them and three or four of his buddies come out. And then it's yeah. it goes to okay, I have a knee on a suspect's, you know, like hips or something to stabilize him on the pavement. You got a radio in one hand and you got two or three people you're trying to address. Yeah. Um, so you've got the weapons retention, you've got uh, an unstable shooting platform and, you know, potentially a one-handed marksmanship issue. So, yeah, uh, been there. I had one of those in a, in a movie theater restroom years ago, uh, myself and a, another officer were fighting this guy, uh, gangster type. And while we we're fighting him, a pistol fell out of his waistband and clattered across the floor. And he had three or four Confederates in the bathroom with him there. And so we were, he was trying to get to the gun. We were trying to fight him away. And then I looked across the bathroom and the other bad guys were staring at the gun, like maybe we can get it. And they started kind of edging towards it. And I remember holding onto this bad guy in the fight and pulling a 1911 out and pointing at him and, uh, <clears throat> explaining in some rather, uh, unpleasant terms, what was going to happen if they took another step towards that gun and they all backed up backs against the wall and stayed there for the rest of the fight. But. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately for the gun toting populace, that's a, that's going to be a pretty rare encounter since, yeah, uh, exactly trying to take somebody into custody, but, but yeah, the, the five yard roundup, that one really rounds out a lot of things for me. And, and, uh, you know, with newer shooters, uh, I'll even play with the par times a little bit. Like if we're mm-hmm. integrating low light is a, if your flashlight is in your pocket and you've got a concealed draw at a half a second, make it a yeah. three second par time. I like, I like the three second par time for a lot of that. Um, one, one thing is if you look at, uh, a lot of Tom Gibbons's drills, uh, his one-handed stuff is almost universally uh, three seconds for three shots and three second, uh, three shots strong and three seconds for two shots support. Uh, one other thing on five-yard roundup that I've been doing, and uh, if you've got a, an accomplished shooter, it's it, I, I like it even more, and that is to use a three-by-five sticky or three-by-five card for your full count zone. You can either let it stand alone. What I'll do is orient it vertically on a B8 bull, and I'll count, uh, I'll count strikes on the, on the three by five cards as 10 points and strikes that are off the three by five card, but still on the B eight as five points. And if it misses both, you got nothing. So right after, uh, Justin's class last year, uh, my business partner and I started using these, uh, three by threes, three by three stickies, uh, for a lot of stuff. And, uh, best target supplier in the world is any office uh, supply store. <laughs> you know, well, just, 
here's my Amazon, a whole roll of hundreds and hundreds of them. Oh, wow. And I buy, I buy uh, the three-by-threes, and I buy three-by-fives, and get them in several hundred on a roll, not too much money. And that way, I don't like the, the stickies like those because only the top of them is glued. Mm-hmm. With these, the whole thing is adhesive, and you just stick it on, and you're, and you're good to go there. All right. Well, what's your uh, what's your second one? My second one, since we're since we're paying a lot of attention to Justin, uh, my second one, and this this one will drive them nuts. But I think if you have someone that performs at this at a good skill level with them, they're really coming along, and that's prep time. Um, Justin Dial's prep time is um, it's it's all inclusive as to what is testing. And it is also very, uh, very disciplined with regard to the target size and the distance and the time. So I'll just go through it. So if people don't know it, prep time. First of all, that three by three sticky you held up is supposed to be the target. Um, And it's at 10 yards on a three by three sticky. Phase one is you fire, you're you're, uh, aimed in and slacked out on the trigger. And it's one shot in one second. You do that twice, and then you go to uh, one shot in two seconds from low ready, and you do that twice. Then you draw and fire a single shot in three seconds, done twice, and then you draw and fire a pair in four seconds, done twice. Uh, And the times are really very liberal or most accomplished shooters, but most accomplished shooters, while they can make those times, they can't make 10 hits. Uh, I have, I have cleaned it with 10, just a few times. I usually shoot nines. And, uh, then Justin says, when you when you think you're pretty salty on that to move up to eight yards and do it one handed, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's really, and, and he is, Justin is big on two things that I see is, and that is he is the master of the 10 round drill design. And he is very strong on being able to do whatever the drill is with strong hand only. Uh, yeah, I've go ahead. Oh, I was going to, I asked him on, uh, just in a conversation I had with him years ago, I said, why 10, why, why you base everything around 10? And he goes, well, ever since kindergarten, you know, if you get a hundred on the test, it's good. Right. And I went, that's it. And he goes, yeah, that's, that's the whole, the whole premise of it. It's just a hundred is, is, is good, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, but I thought there was going to be some deeper meaning to it. And he goes, no, like ever since kindergarten, you know? Well, <laughs> so. another thing about 10 round drills is you can take a selection of them. And you can say, hey, I got 50 rounds, or I got 100 rounds, or I got 60 rounds. And you can build yourself really quickly a, a simple training plan. You can you can load out, you know, you can load out your magazines with 10 rounds or however you need to structure them. And it's, it's from an administrative standpoint and an ammo management and ammo c- expenditure control standpoint, you're getting the most bang for your buck with these little 10-round drills like that. Uh, where you can get a quick assessment or a quick warm up or a, a polish up on on a basic skill set, so I like them a lot. Uh, as opposed to a fifty round qual where you nobody can remember what the qual is, you know, and the, even the even the RO is sitting there with a laminated card in his hand so he can remember too, you know. Yeah, and and I I 
did this experiment last year before Justin's course, and I was like, what is the minimum amount of ammunition I can expend, and what exercises can I do that keep me pretty polished? And it was the test in five-yard roundup and 40 rounds a month. That was about, Mm -hmm. and had to incorporate a draw, and I had to incorporate some strong hand-only stuff. But that was about, and that was not, peak performance that was just mm-hmm. you know what do you say like get you through a school zone performance right like good it, maintenance good maintenance, maintenance. Yeah. um but i had to be very deliberate about how i expended those 40 rounds mm-hmm. and i did that on purpose so that there would always be 10 rounds left in the box that i had to look at and want to shoot but mm-hmm. it's like a discipline like thing um and i had to do that you know whether it was one or two practice sessions i had to figure out one practice session with 40 rounds and and i played with the numbers a lot and uh but the caveat to that was i had to do a lot of dry practice a lot to stay in that but but i liked his 10 round exercises for that because it just i i think you could probably i think you would probably come to a a higher level of capability let's just say you fire 120 rounds a month and fire 30 rounds four times a month. In other words, every week you go and fire 30 rounds of structured practice. I think you would find uh, a great deal of skill development and, and skill maintenance. You know, from a legendary standpoint, Wild Bill Hickok uh, was a heck of a shot. Uh, and he carried two 1851 Colt Navies. And he they were black powder cap and ball. Those are very uh, susceptible to environmental uh, deterioration of the components, both the primer you know, the, the cap and the, the powder. So he, uh, what he did is he shot both guns clean or shot both guns empty each day. He'd shoot five rounds of practice with one because there was not a sixth round loaded. You know, they weren't safe, uh, not drop safe. So he'd f- shoot five rounds of practice and he would clean that gun, put a fresh load on it, and then shoot five rounds with the other gun, clean it and put a fresh load on it every day. So he shot 10 rounds of practice every day. And, you know, Tom has, has mentioned that recency is more important than quantity. If you're doing something every day or every week, that's better than saying, oh, every three months I go and do a bunch. So. Yeah, and I, I typically, well, working on guns, I, I, I have guns around quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I typically carry some form of Glock, and I've got a Glock blue gun that mm-hmm. just lays around the house. Uh, because you know, it's in no jeopardy of doing anything other than, you know, maybe bruising your foot if you drop it. Uh, but gun handling is the one aspect that I see a lot of shooters struggle with because they just don't handle guns very often unless they're at the gun range. Mm -hmm. And I try to, at some point every day, try to have some gun handling, whether it's with a revolver or an auto or something I have a gun in my hand at some point every day. Um, if nothing else for familiarity, um, and, and of course, you know, putting a holster on and taking a holster on or putting it on, taking it off. Um, and that's the one thing I see a lot of new, newer people struggle with is the gun stays in a box. I go to the range, I take it out of the box, I shoot it, I put it back in the box and then I never touch it again. Yeah. And, uh, most of the people you see that are well-tuned, even if their marksmanship is a little off, if their gun handling skills are high, it's way easier to 
bump that marksmanship degree up. It is. It is. And and there's something about the familiarity of the tool. It's like if someone said, hey, Wayne, I need you to go out here and hammer these nails right now. Well, I haven't picked up a claw hammer, and I can't remember when. So it would look like it, it would look pretty sad, you know, a lot of bent nails and a busted thumb here and there. But uh, you, you look at someone that does it all the time. I mean, I'll, I'll watch someone, a roofing crew, do go to work and, and watch those guys. And it's, it's one nail, one hammer stroke, and it's in. You know, and you're just like. Those, you know, clearly the guy knows his tools and he uses them constantly. So he has, he has a level of skill with them that I don't, and that I would have to work a long time to get. It's the same thing with firearms. Same, I'll tell you another thing. It's the same thing with, and it takes you 10 years to learn how to do it. And that's drive hmm. driving. If you look at most people's skills with driving, they have tons and tons of poor habits and a few good ones or a few mediocre ones. Uh, learning how to drive well is a hard job. Yeah, absolutely. But that's one of those skill sets that, uh, you know, especially here in the U S you hone by default Yeah, or you can't afford to do it anymore, <laughs> you know, it's true. But, uh, so what would be, let's see, you just, you just went over prep time. So it's, it's, I guess it's back to me again. Yeah. Uh, and I love the test hackathons test. I, I, I think he was the the originator of it. I'm not sure. Yes. Uh, to my understanding, he was. And talking to Ken, and I, I do talk to Ken often, uh, traded emails with him this past week. But uh, I, it's my understanding, and I believe that we, we would have to sit there and, and give full credit to Ken for the test, for the pure test. Yeah, that one, um, there's so many variations that I, that I can do of that one, but just the – the pure low ready 10 yards, 10 rounds and 10 seconds. Um, because it incorporates so much of uh, like the old PPC stuff, like timing and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, re- recoil recover, recovering the pistol, uh, having good trigger management skills, uh, sight alignment and pit, like all the fundamentals are there. And, if one of them's lacking about round number six, you start to really see it. Um, five to six, right in there. I'll watch shooters. Their mm-hmm. posture breaks down. Something will happen or they're hitting the gas too fast. They're going too mm-hmm. slow and then trying to catch up. That's right about halfway through that. And and as you develop skill, you can always, okay, I'm going to add in a duty rig to this. Yeah. Uh, a, a retention duty rig, not, you know, mm-hmm. some speed USPSA holster. Uh, I can add concealment, a cover garment, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Or, and I don't like to adjust the part time on that one. I like that 10 no. second part time, uh, regardless of what we're working around. But, uh, and, and I've even shot that one, you know, concealment, one hand draw, strong hand only. Uh, and that, That'll eat your lunch, but yes, uh, it will. That that's that's where it gets tough. And when you consider that the gun that he uh, that he designed the test around, or or one of the core guns was was nineteen eleven, and he modified it since the nineteen eleven wasn't a ten round gun as as we normally see it. Uh, it was an eight round response in ten seconds, and you had to start from the holster. Yeah, uh, that was that was the modification, but you're right. You have to keep it all together. 
Uh, and it's kind of one of those deals of testing. Can you do this and can you keep it together and can you keep it together for 10 rounds? That's, you know, a lot of people can pull off one, two, three, four round responses and, and it looks okay. But like you say, somewhere along in the middle, I call it driving into the ditch, uh, and, and people do it at high speed sometimes and flip the car over. And, and one thing I always notice is that people's subconscious timer, gets a hold of them, reaches up and said, man, I don't think you're shooting fast enough. So you'll see an accelerated pace of they'll start off. Bam, 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 bam. And, <laughs> and all of those go away. Uh, the other thing on the whole thing is, is the B eight bull for the target. It's anatomically relevant. Uh, and then Ken has approached it a couple of ways. And Larry, I actually Ken approaches it one way and Vickers approaches it. Another, uh, Larry just counts hits on the bull. Uh, you're either there or you're not. Ken scores, and Ken puts down the the idea that you should be able to shoot ninety percent. Uh, so, you know that that means that if you put everything on the black, the worst you can do is ninety. Uh, if you if you and you're you're going to do better than that. I've shot a bunch of hundreds, but I quit worrying about uh, you know what's the score. My my attitude is: Are they all solidly in the black? Did I have a good shot pace? Was I confident of every shot I fired? Because there's some times that you'll fire a shot and you'll think, man, that thing, that was a bad shot and it still snuck in there somehow. I, what I want to do when I'm looking at it is it's a, it's a quality control and a discipline tool for, for the shooter. Can I, can I make this happen? Am I going to do it properly all the way through? And what, what I'll do sometimes is I'll have somebody watching me and I'll say, Hey, shot number six, shot number six uh it it went a little high it went a little wide it did this or did that and, and they'll say no it, it was it was in there and i'm like well it was it, it was a bad shot just because i caught a caught a l- piece of luck there it was still a bad shot so it's it's one of those self-reflection events too when you start using it that way yeah and if you use it in conjunction with a timer uh like i demoed it uh in amarillo at a class and mm-hmm. daryl was running the timer and i go six and seven or high i got on them a little quick and we reviewed the timer and my shot pace was just a little under like a half second and for Mm -hmm. two shots i ran under three tenths of a second Mm -hmm. and everybody in that class was just kind of wide-eyed and i said yeah it was shot six and seven we reviewed the timer i'd gotten on the trigger faster and those two were 12 o'clock high yeah and it was just now i shoot that a lot i shoot that exercise a lot and um mm-hmm. but just uh, using that diagnosis and showing that to people was like mind-blowing to some some folks so yeah and another thing that i see and i when i see it i'm like it, that's you you've missed the whole point here is people say yeah well i shot the test and i did a good one i did it in six seconds i did it in five and a half i did it in seven i'm like that's not what it's for it is a shot pacing drill to where I'm not saying you should use all of it, but it's not a drill with seeing how much faster you can do it than the par. It's a drill of seeing how perfectly you can shoot that drill within the par and, and the target given. So it, you know, when you, when you start trying to turn it into a, a speed or volume drill, you're missing the point. Yeah. And I, I find, you know, from low ready, I live in the eight, 90s 8.9 mm-hmm. right in there 
Uh, if I run faster than that, I leak shots. <laughs> if I run slower, I go over the bar time. But uh, but from concealment, I run right at about nine and a quarter. So it's just that's about right. Yeah, uh, not too. You know that that's one of those discipline drills. It's just you 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 got to stay consistent and not throw the throttle in or back it out. You know so right. So also on the test and, and Ken put out an adjunct to it or an add on. And then Daryl Bolke and I, uh, took all of that and put it together with a spin that we put on it. And, uh, Ken's second phase of it was half test, which was 10 rounds at five yards in five seconds. Uh, and you could do it from the holster or the ready. Obviously, ready is easier from the holster. It's it's very doable, but you got to pick up the pace, and it's a pace that's relevant to a five yard threat. And then Bulky and I put together what we call super test, where we added a fifteen yard component, and you know, neatly, all of these tests, the time is the yard line. So half test is five yards. Uh, it's five seconds for 10 rounds, 10 yards, 10 seconds for 10 rounds, 15 yards, 15 seconds for 10 rounds. People say, well, that's, that's a lot of time. Uh, yes and no. Uh, there's, there's damn few people that can give you a perfect run in 15 seconds at 15 yards on, on that size of target. And especially when you come with a crowd or you run across a demographic that are used to shooting the A zones or bigger for their, their standard of performance. Uh, you're still, it doesn't matter what the distance is. The threats, uh, vital zone target size is still the same. So you've got to adjust your, your response, uh, to meet the same accuracy standard at different distances. Yeah. Um, you were, man, you were talking about the, uh, 15 yards. I have shot a pile of two ninety nines. I have never cleaned the super test. And the last time I did it was the last I broke out at Beretta and and said, okay, this is the, this is the 300 day. And, uh, you know, one of the times I trained with you, you're like, Hey, if you keep them all in the black, you're good. And I was like, that's all that's, that was our standard. It was never, it was never intended to be a points chasing exercise. It was the whole thing was this is the good spot and this is the spot that ain't working. Uh, put it in the black and put it in the black, you know, in a disciplined fashion inside the part time and, and you're good to go on it. So again, you come back to this thing and you look at it and you put, you got 30 shots and you put them all in the black. The worst you can do is 270. Right. It- when I heard that, I quit chasing the 300. I was like, yeah, we're done. Yeah. Moving on. Because, uh, you know, then you get the, well, I want a 330X. And it's like, no, nah, that ain't going to happen. But uh, generally, what we found is if you stay in the black on every shot across that course, 5, 10, and 15 yards, if you stay in the black, it, even though mathematically 270 is the worst you'll do, what I have noticed is if you stay in the black, 290 is the worst you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's one of those. It's a humbling course. The super, it test. is It's a lot of fun. So we're back to you or was that yours? The super test? I don't know. I think no, you're that on... was yours. Okay. Well, yeah. you, you were the test and I talked about adding the super test, you know, changing it to the super test. So, which to me, there's, there's validity in both of those and they're similar enough that 
you know, in 40 rounds, you can, you can shoot the test and the super test and see, uh, yeah. you know, do you, do you have the, the whole host of fundamentals there to keep everything in that 90% realm? Yeah. So. Now, most of the time when, when the super test is run, people run at 15, 10 and five yards, which is the way we've been doing it. But Larry Vickers was telling me, in fact, I was talking to him at shot a couple of years ago and he was talking about super test and how much he liked that. He says, here's a way to run it that'll drive them nuts and i'm like okay what's that he says do the 10 yard phase and the five yard phase to then go to the 15 yards he said he said most a lot of people will go right off the tracks because they've been picking up the pace and then you're asking them to back all the way off yeah i i've I've done modifications of that where uh i'll run the five yard and then the 15 and then the 10 or i like that run 10 15 and five uh and i got that from larry we did a uh a four hour clinic. And that was one of the exercises that he, he ran up after he did a little marksmanship tune up. Uh, we did the super test and then we prepped it again and we did 10, 15, five, and then we did five, 15, 10. And I immediately stole that. <laughs> Just <laughs> wrote it in the notebook. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. and he was, he would write the scores down under the B eight just to kind of mm-hmm. track we do it in this format and you, you ate some points there. It was, yeah. uh, it's pretty good stuff, but he is good at at doing those, at at doing those structured discipline drills, uh, with, with a, a significant accuracy standard. I, I, that's one thing I've enjoyed most about him. Yeah. And the test, um, I, I was talking to a guy from another agency and one of his standards for their more specialized people was, they would call you at nine o'clock in the morning and go, here's 10 rounds supposed to be eight. And if you can't hold mm-hmm. 90%, you're non-operational until you do. And it's like, man, that's, you know, cold, what, what do you call it? Cold on demand. That mm-hmm. was, that was his standard to keep, to keep his guys honest about practicing when they were on their, a little bit of off time or downtime. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, and I thought that's, hilarious that well not hilarious it's pretty interesting that i don't know when ken came up with that but uh that that has permeated the masses of the shooting community so profoundly that you have people that maintain their their operational standards based on it so you know that that's a spinoff or that's a, a reinforcement of of a statement i've heard paul Howe make a bunch of times and he said, and his statement on this whole thing about especially special operations or elite groups, he said, selection is a never ending process. So people are, you know, you're, you're always working on making sure that, that your operation, your team is what they need to be all the time. And some people are going to deselect either voluntarily or involuntarily. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> so let's go, go with your last one. The third one there. What do you got? Uh, my third one is is real simple, and it's it's demographically proper uh, for citizens or police uh, in using a pistol in defensive encounters, and I call it three three three. It's three yards at three rounds in three seconds, and uh, you either run it from a duty rig or concealment, and use it on a B eight on you know pasted over silhouette or some kind of tight target zone. 
uh, initially, and you can do it. You can do uh, five runs of it. It'll take up 15 rounds, and you're going to do uh, one round of it static. You're going to do one round with a strong, a hard left sidestep, or actually two rounds, two runs with its hard left and two rounds hard right. Uh, or you can sit there and back off and require a diagonal step into a, into a shot. In other words, you, you're going to incorporate movement with it because uh, I submit that even people that are untrained, if you put them in an encounter at nine feet, are not going to stand stock still, at least not for very long. Um, but it's it's a deal of, of putting some, some movement in, in a time frame and a distance that represents typical deadly force encounters uh, on the streets. So I like that one a lot. It's it's uh, it, it's been a, a good bread and butter drill or test to use uh, in classes and and when you're training people to see what their capabilities are. Three, three, and three. I've seems like I've seen that one a time or ten too. So once or once or twice. Yeah, once or twice in uh in in that uh, that format. Uh, Fifteen rounds. Yeah, uh, and that three yard line to me it, a lot of people ask like what's with three yards why three yards and i said well that's the distance that you are almost in a weapons retention mm-hmm. encounter but you're also in the space of someone that can uh <laughs> feasibly rob you or assault yeah, you that's armed robbery distance is what that is right um so. and inside of that it's like with live people, that's a dangerous zone to draw a handgun. Oh Lord. Yes. Nine feet. Maybe. Uh, I mean, depend on your skill level, but, uh, inside of that, I go, you know, my gun turns into our gun and Mm -hmm. we're probably both going to get shot. Uh, just harsh reality of it. Um, that's, that's the truth. Uh, is that there's an excellent chance of that. And for the, I still see though, a lot of videos where, you know, citizens deploy and it's typically always a citizen deploy successfully a concealed firearm on somebody that's at about that distance. And, you know, without talking about, or certainly not making any tactical recommendations, what you seem to notice is there is always a distraction or, the bad guy abandons attention or surveillance on, on the citizen that puts the gun in play. They look off or, or they get tied up on something else or they're focusing on stealing the money or whatever it is. And they, they provide what they seem to provide most of the time, Brian, that I see is about a one second window of opportunity to get a gun up and moving. And, and that's, that's, if you can do that, if you can, I always taught the cops that if someone gives you a one or two second opening, and you can't win, then you're in the wrong spot. So, yeah, and that that, that goes into some of the research that I, I'm paying attention to with uh, like reactionary gap and things like that. Mm-hmm. That person takes their attention off of you. When their attention comes back to you, it's going to take them a half second or right around a half second to make a decision about what you're doing. So you're taking which i hate to use the ooda loop too much but Mm -hmm. it's like you're taking over the loop at that point um and especially in those close distances which is uh that that nine three yards is like the minimum i practice a draw to first shot you know and and things 
other than that, uh, syrup, uh, Dave Spaulding talks about the surreptitious draw or the consi- yep. the very discreet draw to deploy the a discreet firearm. Discreet draw, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's a, an important skill for concealed carriers to have. And, and I get right down to it, and I don't see a whole lot of people really spending a lot of time on it. Uh, there's, there's certainly, you know, I, I think people kind of figure it out under the gun sometimes of, of getting a gun pulled out without making a lot of, making a put. A, and what you're looking for is, is you're trying not to show gross motions while you're doing it. Right. And that's one of the places I love a snub in a pocket for. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that that's and and i live with one in a pocket all day every day so it, it's it's one of those deals it's kind of a comfort zone no it's not the best thing on the planet but uh i shoot no less than 30 rounds of structured snubby work a week just oh, wow. cause yeah <laughs> well and you know now that i'm i'm well into the throes of retirement uh mm-hmm. you know a snub fits the bill a lot of the time a lot more than it used to it does it does because i don't have to solve anybody else's problem anymore so that's right oh <laughs> uh, so let's see 333 was your last one mm-hmm. and i gotta i gotta use my noodle because i've gone so far into uh the five yard roundup and the modifications of the test super test um there's i can't remember if it's the Vickers, is it Vickers 300 that's strong hand, support hand, and the different distances? It's yes. like 7, 10, 15, 15 freestyle. Larry's, every time I see Larry do it or write about it, it's different distances. The way I learned it, uh, and he, he's done it, and he, I think he adjusts for, for levels of capability. You know, I've, I've heard of him doing it at 3, 5, and 7. The way I was taught it from him, was five, ten, and twenty. In other words, you're That's, doubling the distance each time. So at five yards, and there's no time limit on any of them. It's it's pure marksmanship and fundamental execution drill. Uh, it was at five yards. It was ten rounds support hand only, and on all of this on BA and the target zone was the X ring. You're supposed to stay in the X ring for five for ten. 10 rounds at five yards support hand only then you went to 10 yards and it was 10 rounds strong hand only and you're supposed to stay in the x ring and then you go to 20 yards 10 rounds freestyle and you're supposed to stay in the black uh i've shot five or six 300s and it's it's you know when you do it you're like hot damn i'm a good shooter yeah <laughs> but <laughs> But it's it's still a good deep fundamental dive is what it's all about and and I I think quite frankly that we get more out of doing those kind of drills than we do anything where we're pumping volume or speed. You know you can you can work the speed in with your smoothness and your efficiency, but the uh, and and if you wanted to time Vickers three hundred you could certainly do that. You know and and I would kind of say that maybe what you want to do is say thirty seconds on each run. Yeah, and that's um, three, five, and seven. I've shot it on uh, three by threes, on three by five cards. Uh, I really like that exercise because it, it, oddly enough, I tend to like timed or real critical accuracy and 
with a mix of timing. I, something about that sport I used to shoot, it just, it won't die. Uh, mm-hmm. In my, you know, my mental clock is wired around that. So, um, and I like exercises where you can test the mechanical accuracy of your pistol mm-hmm. and the, uh, the load consistency of your ammunition. Yeah. Uh, and my business partner and I talked about that at one point, uh, about zeroing iron sights and, and I kind of walked him through the process and he's like, I, I was never at a level until training with you guys that I could see the distance or the difference in, you know, a quarter of a grain of powder it yep. come out on a target. So, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of my wheelhouse. It's where I like to live. And, and that, uh, the modifications of the Vickers 300 is probably my third favorite. So, yeah, that's, that's a good one. That, that really is. So what do you, you've got a class coming up in what, in November? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think it's November the ninth, if I'm not mistaken, in, or maybe earlier. That's, Granberry first Saturday and it's yeah it's in Granberry and uh it's Palisades training group that I'm associated with now uh and it's going to be a one day class uh it's uh it's not necessarily a whole bunch of new material it's just a a, a new way of thinking uh for one thing and it's called rule 4 defensive pistol because uh you know we go through the we go to the range and get briefed on us, get a safety brief, or we go to qual and get the safety brief. Well, they always say the rule four is be sure the target and what's around it, or be sure the, the target and it's foreground and background. Uh, I, I use be certain of the target's identity, surroundings and backstop. And we talk about that and throw that out there. And, but we say it real fast and last, uh, on a safety brief. And then what happens is, since we are on a range that ostensibly deals with target identity, surroundings, and backstop, nobody pays attention to it anymore because the range takes care of all those considerations, or at least it should. The problem arises is when we then have those fine citizens or policemen go out there with carrying guns, and when they encounter some kind of a problem child out there and they decide to fire on them, uh, none of those range safety considerations are present there. There's not a there's not a defined backstop. There is always, always in urban settings, somebody in that scene that you don't want to shoot, that you don't want to hit. And it could be somebody very important to you. It could be your spouse. It could be a child. Yeah, it could be a fellow officer. Uh, or it could be, you know, bystanders. And it could be bystanders you don't even see. Uh, that are in a car uh, on the street or that are behind a cubicle wall in an office building or something like that. So uh, this is talking about, and it's digging into a lot about what we've been talking about on this podcast now of, of extreme discipline, extreme discipline in, in, uh, in how you, uh, you deliver shots. And by definition, that means you're going to, you're going to dial down how many shots you're going to fire at what pace and into what zone of accuracy. Uh, it also implies that there needs to be a, a discrimination process of making sure that uh, that this person you're taking under fire does, in fact, need to need to be dealt with in that fashion, or that they are the one that needs to be shot. Uh, the bump in the night in the house is the classic one, where there's 
tremendous amount of misidentification of targets or potential threats. So it's 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 going to cover it's going to cover the discipline uh, that you really need to uh, engage somebody on the street and and remain defensible uh, and also shall we say at peace with ourselves because it's one thing it's bad enough to have to deal with shooting the bad guy but it's and but you can resolve that what you really will always have trouble with is if you shoot somebody that didn't have it coming that's that's something that'll be difficult to resolve in your in your heart and your mind and legally and financially oh yeah i'm, I'm just leaving that that that's implied right off the bat but right well that's going to be in granberry that's in texas for those of you that don't know and i'll post up the uh the link in the show notes to that uh that page because i'm signed up so if you want to come out and hang out with the proprietor of hanny mcmood's podcast you can uh no. <laughs> well, not only that granberry is a nice place uh granberry is outside of the uh the dallas fort worth insanity uh it's a it's a nice town uh in a in a quiet common sense part of the state so it's a good spot to be good stuff wayne oh man that's a lot of shooting drills get out your notebooks folks uh reminder check out today's sponsors handgundrills.com which kind of tailors in with what we just talked about if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast on itunes google play spotify or wherever you like to listen to podcasts oh and check out edc belco too (laughs) the off-duty on-duty podcast is a production of eastridge training and consulting llc reminder wayne will be in granberry and uh Daryl and I will be in Terre Haute, but uh, this won't come out before then. So, Training and Consulting LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.